Welcome to Talking Shop with Teresa and Bree, the show where we dish out tips and advice for mystical business owners and service providers. Now, if you're one of those people who is not sure what a mystical business owner is, let me give you some examples. If you are a tarot card reader, if you are an astrologer, if you are a healer, like a Reiki healer, an intuitive counselor, a medium, or you know any kind of spiritual or mystical or sacred art, if you're using any of that as part of your profession, we are talking about you. My name is Teresa and my wonderful co-host. Hi, everyone. There? I'm Bree. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm here. I'm here. So we have both been self-employed sacred artists running our own businesses forever and a day. That's what we're going with. It's been a long time. And we know what goes into running a successful business. We know how much heart, grit, and hustle it takes to get your business afloat and keep things rocking along. And we've been doing this this show now for a couple of years. I think this is year five. Is that, this is, is year that five. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Right. And we've been doing it once a month. Um, you know, and what we're our whole mission is is it's because we love sharing all of the business strategies that we've learned, you know, and and we love learning from the people that we bring on the show. And also it's because we always want to see our fellow sacred artists and mystical peeps thrive. And in each uh, episode of Talking Shop, we tackle a different topic. We're going all over different parts of your business so that you become a well-rounded business. And we often often have a very special guest. So, Bree, why don't we talk about what we're going to be talking about today? Absolutely. So today's topic is secrets to writing a perfect speech. And this is something I am really, really excited about. And today's guest is Dr. Michelle Mazur, a speech coach who delivers audacious breakthroughs for speakers who want to stand out be the best in class in their field, and position themselves in a category of one. I love that. Michelle is the CEO of Communication Rebel and the author of Speak Up for Your Business and Speak for Impact. And she is a Talking Shop veteran. We have had her on the show before. We love, love, love her. Thanks for tuning in to listen, everyone. Let's get this party started. Hello, Dr. Michelle. Hello, ladies. How are I'm so glad to be here. We are so uh, excited to have you here today. Yay. Yeah, we really are. This is awesome. I'm super pumped for today's show. Me too. And, you know, the last time we talked, we talked all about, you know, things that people needed to know in general about speeches and, you know, all of that stuff. And today we really want to get specific on the whole thing about writing, about crafting the perfect speech or yes. presentation. And we are just glad that you are making the time to be here with us again to discuss this because there's nobody else we would consider to talk about this than you. Oh, awesome. And this is my favorite thing to talk about is how to craft a really remarkable speech. So, yes. Let's I think it. it's really yeah, I think it's an important <laughs> topic, you know. Um I've been doing a lot of like classes and and presentations in the last few years and and with my book tour I've been also out there talking to people and educating them about tarot and I think a lot of people not just tarot readers but people in this type of industry they're looking to branch out and into doing things like getting on the main stage at a at an industry event or they're looking mm-hmm. to 
teach classes or or deliver powerful presentations even online. So knowing how to craft a speech, I think, is something really important. So we're going to start out with a really simple question. Okay. In your opinion, what makes a speech great? I think what makes a, this, a speech great is, oh, there's so many things. But really, for me, it's about boiling your idea down into something that is simple and that the audience gets value from. So it changes them in some way, whether they have an aha moment and we're like, oh, my gosh, mind blown. I've never thought about it like this before. Or maybe they learn a new behavior or a new possibility or opportunity opens up for them. But it really is that transformation that the audience goes through during your speech that really makes a speech stand out and makes it memorable and remarkable. Mm-hmm. You know, I've been to speeches that. that have been really fabulous. And I find that, for me, I need a speaker who doesn't prattle on in a really boring way. I It's not that I need to feel entertained when they're up there delivering something scholarly, but I know that I need to keep my attention on it, and it, and that's not always easy to do. Uh, you know, it really does require a lot of thought about what you're presenting, how you're presenting it, you know, and how you are um, explaining things. Does that make sense? I mean, Bree, do you feel the same way? You know, what, what makes a great speech to you, Bree? Oh, I, I really like what Michelle said, mm-hmm. and I, I like the language, the specific language she used of boiling it down. Yeah. I think that's right. Like, I think that, you know, I'm I'm crafting a speech right now for a presentation that I'll be giving at a university later this year, mm-hmm. and, you know, and I'm talking about the sacred arts, which is like, I mean, kind of like talking about the liberal arts. That's a huge topic to cover. Mm-hmm. Um so we're like we're doing exactly that. Like we're starting with one kind of anchoring idea, and and that is the thing that I will come back to again and again. I think mm-hmm. that that punctuates the speech, and it also really allows you after the speech is over to there's one like very tangible thing you can take away from it, right? And mm-hmm. so that can orient you with respect to everything else. So I love what you said, Michelle. I think that's right on. Right on. Yeah, and I would just add, like, I call that anchoring idea, like, the big idea, and it's, you know, it's what you want your audience to remember, it's what you want to be known for as a speaker, because that idea can brand you and get you known for what you do and what you talk about, and it really does drive the ship when you're crafting a presentation, because like you said, Bree, like the sacred arts, it's a huge topic area, and you're an expert in it, and your audience is sitting there not an expert, so figuring out exactly what they need to get from you and all of your expertise and what you can deliver in the amount of time available, it's a, it's, it's a difficult task. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And I think, do you find, Michelle, because the last time we had you on the show, we talked about the fear of public mm-hmm. speaking. And do you find with your clients that if they have, like, a really winning speech, that they're a little bit less afraid to present it? Thank <laughs> you. 
Oh no, did we lose someone? I do not know. I don't know, Michelle, are you still with oh. us? Oh, I just came back. I don't know what happened. Like, Bree was talking about <laughs> fear. <laughs> if the person has a really winning speech, do they feel more comfortable and confident? I'm thinking that's yeah. where I was going. Okay. Yes. I am back. So, yes, I would agree a thousand percent with that. Like, if you have a speech that you know nails it, that people love, that you know that there are certain points that they laugh or they're touched by your speech or changed by your speech, then giving that speech in some ways, I, I, I think about it as like it's putting on comfy yoga pants when you go out and you give it because you know it so well. It's like this old friend and you're like, hello, friend, I'm going to slip, you, slip into you and feel comfortable and like myself delivering the speech. Mm-hmm. Mm, I love that. That makes so okay, much sense. Yes, it totally does. So let's begin talking about how to craft a great speech. Like, let's get into the nitty-gritty. What is the best way to choose a topic? Tell us, Michelle. Tell us. <laughs> so that is a question I'm asked all the time. And I think the or what I suggest that people do is, like, you know, do a brain dump of what you could possibly talk about. And, you know, get it out on paper so you can look at it. And then start thinking, like, knowing what I know about this audience, knowing the challenges that they face, knowing what they already know about my topic. So you got to do a little audience research. What is the topic that's going to serve them the best? And where you find, like, your area of expertise and your passion overlaps with what the audience really needs from you from that speech, that's where you'll find your topic area. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love the brain dump. That's what I tend to do. I love to, like, write out a bunch of ideas and then, you know, kind of, like, narrow it down. So mm-hmm. I, I do a lot of brain dumping around here. Bree, do you do the same thing? Mhm. I I definitely do. Yeah. I mean, I kind of just make a list, and I like the intersection that you talked about, Michelle. Like, mm-hmm. what is going to be of service to the audience, and what are you really excited about? Do you find, Teresa, when you do it, like, do you do you go more in one direction, or do they meet up in a perfect place? It depends. You know, it really depends. Yeah. Sometimes they meet up in the perfect place, and you know, sometimes I will be going off in a little bit of a different direction. You know, I, I did a, a lecture for the Reader Studio, and the class I taught was how to teach, how to read tarot under any circumstance. And I, I told the audience, this isn't the class you want, but it's the class you need. <laughs> you know, because mm-hmm. everybody wants to learn a different tarot technique. We don't want to learn how to do, you know, self-care and all that. So, you know, sometimes I, I do go in that direction. Yeah, and it's about bridging that gap, right? Because as the expert, you actually know what they need. They might want something different. So you can start with, okay, let's give them a little bit of what they want and then bring them into what they need to know Mm -hmm. in order to make progress or to get a transformation. Right on. So, you know, let's say now you've done the brain dump and you've chosen a topic. Mm-hmm. So I'm assuming next you're going to want to create an outline. I mean, I want to know, do you recommend an outline, or what would be your advice around creating an outline once you have your topic picked? 
Yeah, so there are many different ways to craft a speech. <laughs> and it is about finding a method that works best for you. So for me, and the way I approach it with my clients is once we've got the topic and we get some, you'll usually have to narrow that topic to get to that anchoring idea or the big idea. And then it's about what I call plotting the audience journey. So you know their you know the audience's challenges when they come into the door and what problem they want you to solve for them and then you have to get them to this big idea. So how do you get there? So you can map out the journey. So that can look like creating an outline. I almost think so. I'm really weird about writing speeches. I will spend a lot of time in my head thinking things through, and then when I'm ready to sit down and outline, I just outline in like five minutes because I've spent so much time. Mm. So some people craft it using like post-it notes, like put post-it notes on your wall, which is awesome because then you can move ideas around. You could do that in Trello, you know, like software or mind mapping even. Um, and then some people do just like to go into PowerPoint and start putting ideas onto slides and then just moving them around that way. So there's a lot of different ways to start forming that outline. And when you're forming that outline, you really want to get to three crisp main points. And this is not me telling you this. This is Aristotle. Like, Human beings remember best what we hear in threes. So having those three main points, you know, that tie your big idea together is really what you're going for. Right on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, you know, I think that's a really important thing to say about the three, you know, you got your big idea and the three main points because sometimes it's very easy, at least it is for me, to go off on a million tangents. Mm-hmm. And I have to rein that stuff in or we're going to be all over the place. Yeah. Well, and I've noticed this trend with speakers where they, you know, they write their speech like it's a blog post. And I am mm. not a fan of that because how we as, we as audience members process speeches differently than we process a blog post that we can skim. And I remember once sitting in a presentation, and I'm not going to name any names, but the speaker was taking us through like 27 steps to do something within, in two hours. And literally, I was like, you know what, first off, I don't need beyond step three for where I'm at. And you should know that about your audience before going in. So it's, you know, never like, oh, yeah, if you're if you're giving a speech, it's like seven steps to blah, blah, blah. It's like, no, 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 no. Get it into three crisp points. And that will help your audience remember your message. I think in a way, too, that would make it easier for, I don't know if you guys think this, if you have three main points, it's going to be easier for you as a as the person giving the presentation to stand point, if you know mm -hmm. that that's what you're doing, and it's probably going to make it maybe easier for you to write the speech, would you agree with that? Absolutely. Because if you know, like, this is my big idea, here are my three main points, then it it it's just a solid 
structure, and then you can just fill out those main points. And I almost look at main points as like, they're like buckets to me. It's like bucket number one, I'm talking about this. And then that leads me naturally to my second bucket of the speech where I'm talking about this and telling this story. And that gives you almost like it anchors you as a speaker and helps you remember what you're talking about better. And then after you get the three main points, then it's about coming up with that introduction and conclusion. And you always want to do that after you've written the main part of the speech. Ah, that's mm-hmm. good advice. <laughs> Interesting. Now, now tell us why. Tell us why you do the main body of the speech and then you go back and you do the intro and the conclusion. Well, once you know what, in the main body of the speech it's easier than it's easier to get that bird's eye view and go like okay how am I going to open this because the audience remembers most what they hear first and last so the opening line your first line that first seven seconds is critical to getting their attention and it's hard if you're starting off writing a speech thinking like, oh my gosh, I have to come up with the best first line ever, and you don't have the rest of the speech, you're going to really struggle to come up with that introduction. And then you want to make sure that your conclusion obviously matches the content in your speech, but that you're giving what I call a final thought something that is really powerful that the audience will remember because I see speakers do this all the time thanks I'm out of time have a good night and that's not how you want to end you want to have the strong battle cry that the audience is like yeah I'm gonna do that when they get up to leave so it's easier to write once you know what's in the body of the speech to really make that impactful introduction and have a conclusion that's memorable. That actually makes total sense. I've been doing it the wrong way. (laughs) Everybody does. I find myself when I'm working with clients, like we're working on the body of the speech and I'll be like, okay. And they'll be like, well, what about the introduction? I'm like, we're not there yet. we're not there. And they're like, well, I'm worried about how I'm going to open this. And I'm like, yes, don't be, because we need to write the 80% of the speech before we can figure out how we want to open and close. Well, that's probably like I'm just having a huge breakthrough right now because (laughs) I have been, you know, I will sit and I don't know if you do this, Bree, but I will sit and stew over that opening I will stew and I will brew and I will like like get so hung up on it that I will waste so much time and then but once I get it then I the rest flows for me but I I think I'm wasting a whole lot of time. This is a really like this is an aha moment. Yeah, people get stuck there and waste time because they're like how am I going to open this? How am I going to yeah. open this? I'm like don't worry about it. Write the rest of it mm-hmm. and then come back. Well, yeah. that is again. I'm I'm having like my mind blown right now. <laughs> <laughs> so awesome, Michelle. You know, you you've talked about the structure already. I want to ask a specific question that I see come in and out of vogue, right? Like, I love your three points. I remember debating in high school, uh-huh. and that was how that was how I always created a debate case, right? That was how we were taught, like. 
you have your case and you have three points. And then if you have, like, supporting points for your three main points, those are in threes as well. And we were mm-hmm. even taught, like, to move across the stage, like, as we illustrated yep. our three points, we would take three positions, right? So, like, mm-hmm. I love that, and it totally gave me a nerdy flashback. Um, but something that I'm hearing a lot lately is, you know, say what you're going to say. Say it, and then say what you said. Or tell the audience what you're going to say. Say it, and then tell them what you said. And how do you feel about that advice? as part of the speech structure? I think Just personally. Yeah. I mean, being the rebel I am, I'm always like, oh, I hate, like, that type of advice. But being an audience member, I love to know where I'm going in a speech. Like, Mm -hmm. I like to know that you're going to cover A, B, and C because then I can track along with you as you're giving it. And then I like a good wrap-up. Because I want to know where we've been and what I've learned. And repetition reinforces your message. Because people get really weird about, like, oh, well, I'm repeating myself. And I'm like, trust me. Most people, like, studies show that most people forget 80% of what you said on stage within an hour after your presentation. So it's good to give those mile markers, if you will, for for a speech and just letting you know where your audience, where you, where you're taking your audience each step of the way, because that makes them feel secure and confident and like they are going to get something out of the speech. So I I hate like when people do it, like in a very robotic kind of way, first, we're going to talk about this. Second, we're going to talk about this. There's ways you can do it where you can tell a little bit of a story or make it a bit more interesting than the normal just like first, second, and third. But I think that repetition gives your audience a sense of security and knowing where you're going, where they're going and, and what's in it for them, like what they're going to get of each step of the way. Yeah, that makes mm-hmm. total sense. Absolutely. So So let's go back to talking about this opening thing that obviously I get hung up on this opening thing. And like you said, a lot of people do. You know, so what would be your advice other than waiting until you get 80% of the speech wrote? (laughs) But what would be your advice about creating a great, memorable opening? Oh, wow. So the first thing I tell clients is to brainstorm different openings that they could have for their speech because I'm at a point with my own speaking and my own signature talks that I have three openings that I do for my speeches and I have three that I can switch out based on how conservative or liberal the audience is (laughs) and and I know that they work I know that they grab attention they get the audience engaged and involved so don't look for the one perfect opening brainstorm around things like stories that you could tell that would draw people in. So one of the speeches I talk about when I was 
five years old, I came home from school and was convinced I was going to be a politician when I grew up because they help people. And that story always gets a laugh and people enjoy it. And it's really weird to think of a five-year-old wanting to be a politician. But <laughs> it's a story that works and grabs attention. So what kind of story could you tell? Can you ask a question? Can you tap into like an experience? like a universal experience that people have. Um, one speech that I have, I open with, you know, do you remember the first time where you felt like you actually fit in, that these people were your people? And that's something where people are like, oh, gosh, yeah, I do remember that time. So finding that kind of universal that gets into people's brains and then it becomes about like this is going to sound so weird it becomes about testing to see what works because you know you might think like oh my gosh I have the best opening for this speech and then you give it and you're like okay that didn't work the way I thought it should so having different openings that you can play with um, is is key and it's going to take you some time to develop it and that's natural and give yourself plenty of time to think of different lines and test those lines and see what works for you. And I would say one opening to avoid, especially if you are not, you know, Jerry Seinfeld or Patton Oswalt, like don't open with a joke. That's just way too much pressure. Like just mm -hmm. don't do it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's a good advice. <clears throat> the one thing I want to say is that uh, when I was five, I didn't want to be a politician. I, I wanted to be a priest. <laughs> uh -huh. And I got in trouble because I was caught handing out peanuts for communion. So, you know, that, that was quickly told, you, we're not going to be doing that in the future. <laughs> so you made me think about that right away. Isn't that funny, some of the things we think we want to do when we're little? Uh-huh. Exactly. And what's what cool is that shows that, that universal connection because that's what I want people to do is get their brains involved. So, like, I say my story reminds you of you, which is right. what I want to have happen. I want to ask you this, too. Um, how? What's the fastest time that you've ever had in putting together a speech? I know this is kind of a random, mm. weird question, Ooh. but what's the fastest and what's the average amount of time it takes to craft a good speech? I would say an average amount of time would be about a three months, three months to really do it well and to test it. Um, the fastest, I mean, I've done crazy stuff. And I will say I have 29 years of speaking experience so I can pull a presentation together in a day if I have to so um but yeah a day would I think a day has been my like fastest turnaround time and that was just random like I had to go and cover for someone mm -hmm. speaking and so I was just like I was just like okay I'll pull together something and if you get good enough at the craft, it's easy to do because it's like, okay, I need an idea. I need three points. I need a couple of mm -hmm. stories. And you can just kind of pull it together in your brain and be okay doing it. But it takes experience because it's not easy to do it. Awesome. Mm-hmm. 
And Teresa, how long do you usually give yourself to prepare a speech or a presentation? It usually takes me minimum of a month to put something together. Minimum. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, because you know, I'll I'll write something out and then I know I'm gonna go back and I'm gonna be flipping out about it and I, I can't just do it off the top of my head. You know, it just doesn't work for me. Sometimes when I teach a class I could throw a class together real quickly, but you know, generally if I'm doing a presentation I want to give myself a minimum of a month. Now, when uh-huh. I did my presentation for the Reader Studio, you know, I had the the thing written, but it was months, probably a good six months of practicing and revamping the darn thing again and again and then practicing it with the slideshow. So, uh-huh. you know, there was a lot of practice going on there. What about you, Bree? Well, I have done, I mean, when I've been doing a lot of speaking, I, you know, I, I can put something together really, really quickly. Um, like, you know, I, I, I've competed in like extemporaneous speaking. So like, I can do it on the fly, but it is not my preferred method of working. I, I like Uh a good, I like a good like three to four months to like Mm -hmm. really like have it together, polish it. You know, a lot of times what I find is my first pass through, the three main points are not the three main points that I'm ultimately going <laughs> to settle on. I, I distill them more and more, like, as the process goes. I also like to have it fairly memorized. It doesn't have to be verbatim, but I really like to, I like to have it internalized before I present it in front of people because I, I like to be able to have my hands free and not be referring to, to a, a lot of copious notes, you know, like if I have anything, I'd like to, I have a few index cards with just like the main point and I know what I'm going to talk about and so I can go. So I like a good chunk of time. But if I have to, I can do it really fast. It's not my preferred may, way at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't like, you know, I yeah. can do stuff on the fly too, but I don't like to. And I know people, you know, including people in our industry that will throw something together with only a couple of days or even on the same day that they're doing something, I'm like, how can you do it? And you know what? Sometimes often that shows then when you see them speak. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. I'm going to say I, I, I know this one speaker, and she's like, oh, I don't prepare. I just let the muse talk through me. And I'm like, uh, what happens if the muse doesn't show? Like, what do, you, what, do, what do you do if the muse doesn't show up? And, you know, there is a real difference between mm-hmm. a pro and an amateur speaker because mm-hmm. a pro speaker has their speech nailed. And considering the fact that it does take like a month to three months to write a really good remarkable presentation you want to use that sucker again and again and again if you can because you shouldn't have to recreate the wheel every time and every time you give it it will get better and you will refine it even more or you'll say hey that story is not working I'm gonna you know try this story instead and see how things go and when you work that hard on something and refine it to such a level, it's like, yeah, use it. But that makes you more a professional because I can always tell a pro versus an amateur within like the first 10 seconds of a speech. Mm-hmm. It's all about how they open it. 
and I can tell if they're prepared or not prepared. And frankly, when people are not prepared, I get angry because you are wasting the audience's time. Yep. Mm-hmm. I totally agree. And uh, by the way, my muse is oftentimes drunk. So we. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't rely on her. <laughs> Yeah, my muse is pretty okay. crummy. Yeah, she's a flake. Aw, <laughs> <laughs> oh, your muse. <laughs> so we were talking we were talking about audience and you've actually touched on audience several times this evening. So I wanna ask uh, I wanna ask a two part question. So the first okay. part is how can you make sure that your audience remains interested in what you're talking about? Um, and, and we might, you might talk about the time, like how long of a speech, like a 30 minute speech versus an hour and a half presentation. I don't know. But the other part of my question is how do you do the audience research? Cause you've mentioned mm-hmm. that. So like, how do you research your audience? Ooh, okay. So the timing <laughs> is interesting because Ted actually has done research into this. And this is why TED Talks are 18 minutes long, because they have found that audiences can't pay attention for longer than that. And I think when you're giving longer speeches, it's important to, like, mix things up a bit. So maybe you're teaching a concept in your speech or you're talking about a concept. And then you switch to a story or maybe you have them like stand up and do something so that you're always giving them a different state of being to pay attention to. Sometimes it's with our visuals that can keep an audience engaged. But the longer the speech is, the more you need to be aware that you should be changing things up about every 10 minutes or so. So if you have found yourself talking for 10 minutes, then it's time to give the audience something to do, maybe a reflection activity or, you know, have them talk to their neighbor. I know some people hate that, but you got to get creative with how to keep them involved because if it's just you up there talking, yeah, they're going to nod off. So thinking about, like, Mm -hmm. how every 10 minutes you can be, you know, keeping them engaged. And then the what was the second part? Okay. <laughs> so the second part is audience research. Like, oh, yeah. like how how do you do that audience research? Yeah. So part of that starts off when you're invited to speak, or you know, you're in negotiations for a speaking gig. So you should be doing some research and asking questions about like. So tell me more about your organization. Who shows up? What are their demographics? You know, what kind of businesses do they have? What kind of challenges in their business do they have? And sometimes, you know, you'll get some good information from your contact and get into, you know, get into their organizational head a little bit and who who their people are. But then it's also about, like, doing some – sometimes it's about doing some Internet research. So if you're talking to Mm -hmm. market research professionals, 
than, you know, Googling and finding out, like, so what are some of the current trends in market research? What are some of the challenges that they're facing? You know, what's new and different in their field? So it's that combination of doing some, you know, some interviewing when you're booking the speaking gig, doing some of that internet research, and then it's really about using a little bit of your imagination. So one of the questions I always ask my clients are, what do people believe about your message? Like when they hear like, oh, Brie is talking about the sacred arts, what does that make them think of? And, mm-hmm. you know, so it's a little bit about thinking, okay, well, if I know I'm talking to a bunch of college students and they seem progressive, they probably don't know much, but they're probably open to it and just kind of doing some interpretation based on who they are and using their imagine, using your imagination. And if you all, if you can, if you know someone who's going to be in that audience talking to them and getting into their heads a little bit. That's, that's good it. advice, and you know that would probably this would probably be a good time to ask that question that we got sent in. Uh, Jane from Minneapolis sent in this message. She's looking for ways to distinguish her message, hone in on it. Mm. So we're talking about you know keeping our audience interested. This might be a good topic to discuss. Yes, because that is one of my favorite things to work with people on is figuring out what's unique about their message. And for me, one of the things I do with clients is I make them do rants or raves. So thinking about all of the things that really tick you off about your topic area and just writing it like oh it makes me so angry when I see speakers who haven't prepared and step on stage and waste the audience's time so or I hate it when people sell on the stage these are all mine (laughs) 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 but if you can come up with like a list of things that you feel like oh they make you mad then that might be a good start because you're going against the grain. But at the same time, I know not all people are ranters like I am. There are some people who are ravers. They are very passionate about something. They are very expressive about something. And so using a simple, like, prompt, like, I believe, and then writing what you believe about your topic can help you hone in on what makes your message unique. That's really great advice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I love doing that with clients. And honestly, you can use that for so many other things in your business. If you're like, I don't know what to post on Facebook, look at your rants and raves. If you don't know what to blog about, look at your rants and raves, because really, that's what's going to make you different and stand out. I'm actually writing notes. I think this is so brilliant. <laughs> I love I love that approach. I especially like the the rant part of it. Like what I did an exercise one time that was, you know, look at your industry or look at the area that you feel really passionate about and write down the ten things about it that just drive you up the wall. And you know, at the end of that it was basically like you have a business plan for how you can now go forward in that 
and and create your entire business around not doing those things, right? Like, yeah. like doing the opposite of those things. And so I think that's such a smart way to go about distilling your unique message and whatever it is, right? Yeah, and I know people worry like, oh, well, if I say this, it's going to make people angry or they're not going to like me. And I think that's a good thing because what we're passionate about, what makes us angry about our industry will attract the right audience to us because our message isn't for everyone. You know, if you're truly in a category of one, your message is not going to be for everyone in your audience. And that's okay. But I think people are always like, oh, well, what if I, what if I make, you know, what if I hurt someone's feelings? Well, it happens. Mm-hmm. You know, that's actually what spawned the show that we're doing here. Bree and I were like talking about <laughs> <That's right. laughs> all the things that was that we that bothered us about our industries. And one of the biggest things was a lot of people did not run their businesses like businesses, and we came to discover it's because. Not because they don't want to, but it's the lack of know-how. And we're both so passionate about business that that's what's got us doing the show for the last couple of years. Yeah, and it's a unique positioning for both of you because now we look at you as leaders and, like, how to run a business for for mystics. And, you know, for me, that's one of my big rants as well for speakers because speakers don't look at speaking as business. And it very much is a business and you have to treat it like one if you actually want to get on stage. Mhm. 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 What what would you say are like the top 3 things that that means? When you treat speaking as a business, what mm. what are the three like big changes that you see people engage in when they when they make that shift yeah number one they know how they're going to get paid (laughs) (laughs) which sounds ridiculous but people don't know how to get paid and if you're doing speaking to get clients that's a very different model than if you want to do speaking to get you know somebody cuts you a check for an organization so I think that number one is you figure out how you're going to get paid. Number two, you start treating the speech itself like a product that you're selling. Because really, when you're a speaker, your product is the speech. It's not yourself. It's the speech that you're selling. And what I love about that is it makes you think about the sales process and the marketing process, but it also lets you detach from the speech being wrapped up into your identity as a human being, which I think stops a lot of people from like pitching and putting themselves out there as speakers. So thinking about that as product. And then the third part is we've talked about the value to the audience, but then translating that value to the audience into why does the organization want that audience transformation? Because those might be two different things. Like when I talk with speakers who do like corporate speaking, yes, they might be teaching the audience how to manage stress better, 
but how they sell that to the organization has nothing to do with stress. It's about productivity and employees who get along better with each other and there's less absenteeism and you don't, you know, your employees don't turn over every two days. So it's a different type of conversation when you're actually selling the speech. So those are the three biggest that I see. That's super helpful. Love it. It is. So let's say you've got your speech all written and mm-hmm. you're up there and you're doing your speech. What do you think about ad-libbing? I think if you are good at ad-libbing, then do it. So I use Sally Hogshead's fascination advantage with my speakers. And Sally, it's based on marketing and branding, and Sally has identified these nine languages that we all speak, and two of them are like our jam, like we're really good. So people who have primary or secondary innovation, which is about creativity, um, they are brilliant off the cuff. Like, oh, man, they can just they can just go with the flow and they can ad lib or they can change out a story on the fly or they're really great at reacting to the audience and how the audience is participating. But then I have speakers who, you know, trust, which is about process and alert, which is about details. Um, They do not do well off Mm. speaking off the cuff. So it's about knowing your strengths. If you are comfortable going with the flow, like I'm innovation, so I am totally comfortable with like ad-libbing a little bit and then being able to bring it back to my point because that's the other thing, like ad-lib, bring it back. (laughs) But if that is not your jam, then don't do it. Right. I have innovation as my um – primary thing. I'm innovation and mystique. I love Sally Hogshead's mm-hmm. thing. I think it's brilliant. So yeah, I like to, I do enjoy ad living, I'm gonna admit that. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. That's I mean that that's something that I've always done and I've always done it pretty naturally and so it it would feel weird and really stilted and off to me if there wasn't a little bit of that. Mm-hmm. Um but I think that it also has to be right. It's got to be in the right balance. It's got to be proportional to yep. the rest of what you're doing. And I think like the tricky thing with ad-libbing, and Ms. Michelle, you can you can tell me if you ever see this, is you know people can you can get carried away with it, and you can also rely on the fact that you're good at ad-libbing to kind of not do the rest of the homework, right? Mm. <laughs> Mhm. Yes, because if <laughs> like I, and I'll be honest, like I was in Toastmasters about 7 years ago and I could deliver a 5-minute speech with zero prep. <laughs> Cuz it was just like yes. it was easy. Like give me a topic and I'll talk about it for 5 minutes. No problem. And yeah, so that's a danger cuz you're like, "Oh, well, I'm really good on my feet, so I don't need to plan anything." But all of a sudden you're up there and you're like, oh, really, what's my point here? Like, where am I going with this? So, yeah, that's the danger. It's like you have to ad-lib in almost like a controlled way and then be able to bring it back to your point that you want to make. Yes, yes. So we've talked about, as we come to the close of our show, it's appropriate, right? We've talked about the opening and how you nail that. What about the closing? You talked about why it's important. How 
can we create a strong closing? And I want to know, is this the last part that you have people write when they work with you and they're doing a speech? Yes, this is typically the last part that we do. So with the conclusion, there's going to be like three parts to it. There's the wrap up, there is a call to action. And, you know, like if you're doing client attraction speeches, it's like, hey, do a consult with me or get my free guide that takes you deeper into this. But then there's what I call the final thought. And I really approach this from what, if they remember nothing else from your talk, what is the one thing they want you, you want them to remember? So for me, when I'm writing a speech, this is so, this is weird, and I will totally admit it. I listen to Les Miserables, Do You Hear the People Sing? Because it like it's mm-hmm. inspiring, and I'm like, how can I get people on the barricade with me? I love that. And, and I write it from that point of view. Like, how do I get people on this barricade, taking action, climbing up there, and doing this? And yeah, that's the that's the feeling that I like to instill as I write those final words. Mm-hmm. I love it. I do, too. I think that, you know, again, you're really creating, like, it's almost like you're creating a vibe when you're doing mm-hmm. your, this whole process of writing this speech. Yeah. And, yeah, it's very intentional. I love this. It is. It is very intentional. And it's definitely, you know, I always say it's like an art. It's an art and a science because there's the science of how people process messages. But then there's the art and the art of storytelling and how do you use humor and how do you want to use emotion in your speech and having that emotional journey for your audience and getting them up on the barricade at the end is, you know, those are all I, you know, items you should be thinking about as you craft that speech. You covered so many wonderful things tonight. I mean, I took notes. I, my brain is reeling. I'm getting, I really had some big aha moments, you know, and, and this has been just amazing. So I'm really thrilled that you came on the show tonight, uh, Dr. Michelle. Well, thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. So could you tell our audience where they can find you? Yeah, I am at drmichellemazer.com. And if people are interested in getting out there and speaking, I have a little mini course about how to pitch yourself for speaking gigs. And it takes you through some of the strategy part, like what does the audience need from you that we were talking about. And you can get that at drmichellemazer.com slash GTS. Yeah, and I would also recommend to anybody who's listening, you have two books that they might want to grab. And could you tell everybody, I mean, we mentioned them briefly at the beginning. Yeah. About your titles, are they e-books or are they paperback? What do people need to know about your books? Yes. So you can get either book on Amazon. So Speak for Impact is not your traditional public speaking book because it's about the strategy behind creating a speech like a product. And that's 99 cents on Kindle. So really affordable, but it will take you through the process of really thinking about how do you build a speech and write a speech like a product. And then my other book is available in ebook and it's available in paperback. It's called 
speak up for your business. And that's more of a tactical how-to book. So actually, the two books complement each other very nicely. <laughs> so it takes you through more of like the process of developing content, delivery, what do you do about fear and evil voices in your head that are telling you horrible things about yourself before you go on stage. <laughs> but yeah, that speak up for your business is a really deep dive into the skills that you need around speaking. And they're excellent books, I will say that. Thank so you. that being said, we're wrapping up this episode of Talking Shop in just a few moments. Oh, uh, Michelle, thank mm. you so Yeah, thank you so much for coming back on the show again. We love you, love you, love you, and we always learn so much. So we always like to do a little review at the end. And, Teresa, I know you said you were taking notes. What has been your biggest takeaway from this episode? That I've been doing Dr. it all wrong. I've been doing it all wrong. I need, I need to write the body of the thing before I do this opening. I mean, this really blew my mind. That sounds so dumb, but you guys, Dr. Michelle, you do not know how much time I've been wasting doing these openings and <laughs> racking my brain. So that was my biggest takeaway. What about you, Bree? What's your favorite nugget that you got from everything that Dr. Michelle shared today? Well, Dr. Michelle um, really rocked my world when she talked about looking at your speech as a product, right, as an offering, mm. that, that that is, that, you know, speeches are a part of your business, and so you treat them as a part of your business, and I think, like, you know, in, in a way, like, I was on board with that, but in another way, like, I hadn't articulated it so clearly right and so that was super super helpful thank you so much dr michelle thank you dr michelle we love oh, you you guys are welcome this was so much fun thank you it was amazing um and you know we we are going to ask you a little question here because brie and i like to talk about a couple fun things at the end of the episode mm. right brie that's right that's right towards the end of each episode we like to share a few fun tidbits like the books that we've been reading lately i have a really good one to share blogs Ooh. that we're obsessed with favorite songs uh -huh. tv shows food sometimes it's a lot about food um just some fun <laughs> stuff that we, <laughs> that we think you guys would enjoy listening to and discovering and sometimes we'll talk about business stuff but not all of the time because you can't do the business thing 24 7 right we're not convenience stores so Teresa. <laughs> What we'll start off with you. What is something that you are just totally into and in love with right now? Well, you guys, I'm a book fanatic. I'm reading all the time, and I have been getting into these books about privacy. I oh. read a book uh, called Spark Girls. <laughs> yes, it's very you know it's about wanting to stay safe online, and I read a book called The Smart Girl's Guide to Privacy by Violet Blue. It's really good. And I just got this new book called The Art of Invisibility. And it's a book by the world's most famous hacker that tells oh. you how to be safe in the age of big brother and big data. Now, just I just want to add here, I'm not a conspiracy theorist or any kind of person trying to do, what do they call that, where they're, they're a doomsday prepper. <laughs> I got one of those. You're not, but, a, you're, not, you're not like a prepper. Okay. No, <laughs> but I'm really fascinated with this whole idea of, you know, like the Internet and how we're connected, but how do we stay private? So those are the two things I've been reading right now and really getting a lot of good info. 
So what about what about you guys? Dr. Michelle, Dr. Michelle what do you want to share? What are you into? Uh, what am I into? Um so I just we just spent the weekend in Portland. Oregon? And, yeah, yeah, Portland, Oregon. Yep, yep, yep. And we like I love tiki culture. So we my my husband and I went to the Big Island. Well, we went to the Big Island for a honeymoon and then we went last year and like Mai Tais and lava flows and the missionaries downfall, like all of these great tiki drinks. And we found this bar in Portland, super small, and they specialize in tiki drinks. Like it like they have a drink they they set drinks on fire and mm. There's a volcano That's pretty awesome. Yeah, it, it's awesome. <laughs> so I've been really into tiki drinks and craft beer, always. <laughs> you know, if you ever come to it. my neck of the woods, we have one yeah. of the best tiki bars really in the United States. It's called The Foundation. Mm-hmm. So go look it up. It's fabulous. It's been around for a long time. It's really well known. Oh my gosh! I I would t- yeah, that would be awesome. My husband would love it too. He's totally into tiki. Yeah, so just keep that in mind if you ever get this way. What about you, Bree? What's the thing that you're into now? So I love the author JD Robb, right? Mm-hmm. And she is Nora Roberts. JD Robb is her pen name, and under that pen name, she writes a futuristic detective series, mm. and her her newest hardback is out and the main character is Eve Dallas and she's a cop in New York City and it's like the 2060s are when the the series takes place and I just love them so much it's totally brain candy and so I'm really into my new book that I picked up yesterday that I'm already like halfway through yeah so cool (laughs) so last but not least as always we have a few announcements Teresa, is there anything you want our listeners to know about that's happening in your business world and the Tarot Ladies universe, any upcoming classes or new projects? Well, I am back on to the second leg of my book tour for the Tarot Coloring Book. Uh, I just got back from Albuquerque, and it was fabulous. Mm. I love Albuquerque. So um, now I'm going to be doing two appearances in Wisconsin, my wonderful home state. I'm going to be on March 10th at 5 o'clock p.m. at the Nutman in Hubertus, Wisconsin. It is this great shop that is run by my friends Jill and Frank Campana. And they've got like a Neo studio, a Neo studio. They've got all these snacks and gifts and a coffee shop all built in one. It's just the greatest little place. It's going to be totally free. Uh, I'm going to be signing books. There's a mini lesson. And I'm also going to be doing tarot and wine on April 13th at the Wax Wing in Milwaukee. And that's going to be at 6 to 9 p.m. And it's, again, another free little workshop. It's a mini lesson, book signings, but this time we're having booze. <laughs> so it's going to be awesome. So the, and I've got a bunch more, and, and people can find out my whole book tour schedule. I'm going to be going to Toronto and, you know, all kinds of other places this year. And all they need to do is go to thetarotcoloringbook.com and hit on book tour. They'll show you where I'm going to be. So that that's my big thing. What about you, Bree? What are you up to? Any announcements? Oh, I am up to I am up to planning two birthday parties for my son and my husband back to back. But beyond that, 
I am up to teaching a class. I'll be teaching a class in a couple of weeks. It's a virtual class on fortune and good luck and bad luck and what to do when your luck or your vibe doesn't seem to be working out and how you can reverse that cycle, break that cycle, Hmm. and working with the archetype of fortune in a deeper way so that you see the benefit of that on a daily basis in your life. So I'm pretty pumped about that. It's going to be a three-hour class, one one evening, um, March 8th, I believe. I forget what the exact date is. And so you can find out about that when you head over to my website. But that's the, that's the really, like, close nearby thing that's happening that I'm pretty pumped about. And what about you, Dr. Michelle? Do you got any big announcement about something new that's going on in your world? Yeah, I will be, I am getting ready to launch my Get the Gig Kickstart, which is a five-day basically kick in the pants to help you pitch for speaking gigs. So I'm getting ready for that, and there will be a webinar that will be like end of March. So that will be really fun. I love doing it because there's just a lot of interaction, and I just really want people to get out there and start pitching and and in getting on stage. <laughs> well, I will be sure to be pay, keeping an eye peeled for that. That sounds like it's right up my alley. Yeah, it's a good time. Yes. Mm-hmm. So before we sign off, a happy reminder. If you love Talking Shop, don't forget that you can listen to all of the previous shows for free and by visiting the Talking Shop archives. You can go to thetarolady.com, and you want to click on the tab called Free Resources. And you're going to hop on down to podcast and look for Talking Shop, and you're going to find all the jazz there. And if you like this show, I would love it if you look for us on iTunes. We're at, you know, you want to search for Talking Shop with Teresa and Bree and, and give us a good review. That way you're going to help other mystical peeps find their way to this podcast. And lastly, I do want to remind you that we have another fabulous show next month. Next month, March 29th, same bat time, same bat channel, we are going to be talking with Liz Lockhart about SEO. Now, this is big. This is going to be a really important show. I took a class from Liz uh, about two years ago, and I didn't realize I had an SEO problem. <laughs> but Liz got me all straightened out. She is amazing. You are going to learn so much about how to make Google help you or help your site, help people find your site. So you're not going to want to miss that show. So do tune in. And, Bree, where can they find the archives on your site? Basically, same thing, you guys. Go to briannasafi.com, hit the tab called Free Resources, and you'll find the Talking Shop archives right there. Awesome. So, okay, folks, that is going to be a wrap for this episode. Please join us again next month for another round of Talking Shop. And until then, you can find me, Teresa, at thetarolady.com. And you can all find me at briannasassi.com. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. Have a great evening. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Bye.